Hello, everyone. This is Erica Spicer Mason with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. We're thrilled to be joined today by Dr. David Houghton, the Medical Director of Digital Medicine and the System Chair of Telemedicine at Oxner Health, who will talk to us about digital specialty care for the treatment of cardiometabolic conditions. Dr. Houghton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. And before we dive into our conversation, I wanted to know if you could just share a little bit more about yourself, your role, your organization, whatever you'd like to share with our listeners. I'm happy to. Thanks so much to, to you and to Beckers for, for having me um, as part of this podcast today. I'm a neurologist by training and by trade. I spend about half my time clinically, not only taking care of uh, aging neurologic disorders like Parkinson's disease, but also seeing the ramifications of poorer cardiometabolic health and things like strokes and heart attacks in the hospital. I've been at Oxford now for 11 years. And with the other half of my, my career, I've, I've enjoyed spending it in the digital health space, initially with telehealth and the traditional forward-facing episodic care models that we were building even before the COVID-19 pandemic. And now over the last three years, more activity in the chronic disease management space, taking care of hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and others to try to make our patients in the Gulf South and actually across the country as healthy as possible. Thanks so much, Dr. Houghton. It's really helpful to know that background. Um, congrats on 11 years at Oxner. That's um, quite a while to see how things, not just care delivery has shifted in that time, but you mentioned this, this focus on digital health and managing chronic conditions. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of change there more recently as well. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah. So I wanted to start kind of broad here, especially with your experience um, in medicine. You know, we know in the U.S. that optimal cardiometabolic health rates are declining. So can you touch a little bit on what are the key factors contributing to this trend and how is it affecting not just patients, but the industry, the healthcare industry more broadly? Sure. And in fact, to, to the li listeners, they may not be familiar with this term, optimal cardiometabolic health rate, or even what cardiometabolic health is. And to level set that, it's it's really a way of thinking about all of the chronic disease factors that can impact the outcomes that more than anything else, Americans are trying to avoid, like heart attacks and strokes, brain bleeds, et cetera. And most of those are based on blood vessel health. So things like blood sugar and to avoid diabetes, getting your cholesterol under control if you have hyperlipidemia, getting your blood pressure under control so that you decrease the stress off the blood vessels in the body. And then ultimately, and what may end up being the most important factor is weight control. We recognize that a high BMI or body mass index is very closely linked. So that weight, blood sugar, cholesterol, blood pressure, and the efforts to avoid those downstream light effects like heart attack and strokes is really what we're talking about when we're thinking about cardiometabolic health. And the rates are declining. In fact, some of the most recent data we have was published last year, but that's a look back to 2018. And then as, as recently as 2018, less than 7% of Americans were thought to be of an optimal cardiometabolic health. And that has continued to decline over the previous 20 years. And here we are five years later. So I think probably nobody on this podcast would think that generally the health of Americans 
with, with regards to cardiometabolic disease has improved significantly over the last five years. And our worry is, is that it's getting worse. And so we really had to step in as a health system, um, as a country, and think differently about the ways that we can best tackle things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes. Yeah, absolutely. And just knowing that I believe the number one killer in the United States is related to heart health. Um, so I can see how, you know, just the connection between these these risk factors you've mentioned, BMI, blood sugar levels, cholesterol levels, certainly concerning. So thank you for kind of painting that picture for us. So how are you seeing healthcare organizations currently approaching treatment and management of conditions like this? And in your view, are there opportunities for improvement or innovation? Um, interested to hear your perspective there. Yes, I think we need to do something differently. And fortunately, I'm part of an organization that's been thinking about this for, for decades in general as we take care of patients in the Gulf South, but particularly over the last 10 years about ways that we can harness technology and put a new focus on these cardiometabolic factors. And the way that we have thought about um, this new opportunity is to harness technology in the forms of smartphones and simple connected Bluetooth devices and healthcare teams that are able to take care of two particular portions of somebody's longitudinal care. One, coaching them on lifestyle choices, diet, exercise, and really tackling social determinants of health and the way that those impact people's well-being. And then secondly, following the guidelines that as primary care physicians and other specialists we are aware of that take care of hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, using the right drugs at the right time and to meet the patients where they are. Our efforts here have now enrolled more than 30,000 patients as part of our digital medicine program. And right now, the way that we are able to change the story for them is to try to get their blood pressure, their lipids, and their cholesterol under better control. Wow. And that, that is an impressive number, 30,000 patients. Um, and I just wanted to comment too on something that you mentioned about harnessing technology like smartphones and simple Bluetooth connected devices. I think that simple factor is probably so important um, in terms of ensuring that you can get widespread adoption of, of tools like this. That's certainly true. And if, if you're in the bricks and mortar healthcare business right now, the number one buzzword is access. How do we allow access of our patients to the healthcare system, whether that be for appointments that they need for their annual visits, whether that be to get a high level specialist, and hopefully whether that is to avoid unnecessary ER visits or urgent care visits. But in the digital health space, that access is opened up wide by simple, digestible, user-friendly apps and then on top of that, the content that really does meet patients where they are. And it does sound cliche, this idea of meeting patients where they are, but it's true. In fact, we need to find patients where they are on their healthcare journey. How can we align our health goals so that they are better stewards of their own healthcare with their providers? How can we address those social determinants? How can we make sure that the health coaching is what is they need in their lives at that time. And so as we have built these focus factories to take care of hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, we have recognized all the potential overlap and the benefits that those patients are able to enjoy quite literally in their pocket. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So well said. Thanks so much for kind of building on that. And just going down this road of technology, I want to get to some more specifics if you're able to share. So I know you've talked about the smartphone and the Bluetooth connected devices, simple, convenient devices that patients can use at home. Can you share what kind of the key elements are of a successful approach here digitally and maybe any case studies or success stories that come to mind? Sure. I think first things first, you need to lay all preconceived notions and potential biases at the front door before you build these programs. We can't presume, for instance, that vulnerable patient populations like our seniors are not able to utilize technology. We learned during COVID uh, and before that, in fact, that myth is, is easily debunked. Similarly, we need to be creative. If we have patients who are uh, of a lower socioeconomic status or struggling with other um, ability to, to access the traditional healthcare systems, technology, we need to work hard to make sure that there is broadband access. We need to make sure that we can put technology in the hands of patients. So that's number one is, is to remove all your biases and, and, and think broadly on how we can reach patients. Then after you determine what you're going to tackle, you have to recognize that everybody with a certain disease, everybody with a certain condition may benefit from the halo effect of a program such as this. You may have a patient who comes into the program and their blood pressure is under control, but they may not be on the optimal regimen and they may not have addressed the lifestyle factors that would make it more easy to control in the future. Or similarly, you may have somebody come into a program whose diabetes is out of control, but they really haven't recognized the value of some of the newer medications yet. And so the halo effect, or what they call down in New Orleans, the lanyap, which means a little bit extra, is absolutely valuable in this program because it allows the patients now for them to feel like they are part of a community that cares about them. It's important that we don't just educate, which feels very one-sided in many circumstances, but we engage. And then ultimately we activate the patient so that they develop their own self-efficacy and they are the ones who will continue to drive the improvement. I think one of the better examples of the ways that we have, that we have reached our patient populations is with a Medicaid pilot that we undertook in our state. Initially, Louisiana has not had the traditional payer mechanisms for patients with Medicaid as their insurance product to be able to benefit from remote patient management products at home, remote patient management programs like our own. And so with the assistance of some funding from the FCC that was secured during COVID to help, de uh, to help uh, cover the cost of the connected devices and with our hospital system, um, fronting the, the the cost to take care of, of some of the patients that are right here in our community, we were able to enroll not the thousand patients that we anticipated on the front end, but now more than 7,500 patients who have Medicaid as their insurance provider. And the results that we've seen in that patient population mimics what we've seen in a commercial payment patient population, what we've seen through other payers or employers, what we've seen through Medicare. So again, we leave our biases at the front door and we recognize that any patient can benefit from good, simple, digestible, user-friendly technology. And in fact, it's those patients that have been left behind in traditional healthcare institutions in some circumstances that appreciate it the most. We check our, uh, our, our patient satisfaction rates 
um, on, an, on a, a regular basis. And we recognize that through our net promoter score, which is that simple one question of whether you would recommend a service to a friend or family member, our net promoter score rate is 91, really a top industry number for our patients that were part of our Medicaid pilot. And the fact that we know that we are benefiting our community in South Louisiana, but similarly, those patients are appreciating the work that we're doing with them and that they then are taking control of their healthcare, there's no better feeling than that. Absolutely. That patient satisfaction score is definitely impressive. And I know that patient satisfaction is top of mind for so many healthcare organizations right now as they're trying to keep patients on board and, and also recruit new ones. So um, congrats on that metric. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So considering everything we've discussed, you know, as you look to the near future, how do you really see digital care for the treatment of conditions like cardiometabolic conditions evolving? And also how do you see them down the line benefiting payer organizations? I know you mentioned the Medicaid pilot and then also just, you know, other healthcare organizations as well, hospitals and health systems. What excites yeah, you? That's a that's a terrific question. We're, you know, always have our eye on the future, particularly being able to work um, across this landscape of, of digital care. At Oxford, we've reorganized underneath our, our chief digital officer, Dr. Denise Bazo, um, who really is a visionary as it relates to connected health. And so telehealth products, digital products as it relates to chronic disease management, other management products that you can imagine for long-term cancer care or long-term neurologic care. All of these are on our roadmap as a health care organization. And, and um, selfishly, we feel like it's healthcare organizations that ought to be at the tip of the of, of the spear for, for this hard work. And so it's a really, uh, I would suggest, enviable position for, for us to be in. If you look in the near-term future, I think the realization by payers, by large employers, um, by CMS, um, about the value of remote patient management um, is really on the rise. We have been successful um, in building per member per month payment models and, and being able to share our quality metrics and our reduction in high dollar utilization and the ability to really demonstrate a return on investment for any of those groups that may be on the hook for the cost of their employers or the cost of their beneficiaries. And similarly, we've shown the same return on health investment to individual patients who now realize that their future is brighter without the risks of cardiometabolic disasters like strokes and heart attacks. If we get a little further out, I think that's where the advances in technology are going to be quite exciting. Right now, we have fairly low price point, digitally connected, Bluetooth-enabled um, blood pressure cuffs and weight scales and blood glucometers. But we are on the cusp of, of much of that technology really being on the smartphone itself. There are technology companies out there that are on the cusp of being able to measure things like blood pressure just by looking into the into the screen of a cell phone. And the technologies for us to be able to do biometric measurements on patients are only getting simpler and easier. And if in fact that is a rate limiting step 
for utilization for these. And now we know how often we find smartphones, not even with just an individual, but in multi-generational households. I think that only opens up the ease of use of this program. I mentioned that we have 30,000 people in the program today. We've taken care of 40,000 people over the life of it over the last decade. I feel like those numbers skyrocket when the technology gets even simpler and cheaper for patients to appreciate. Absolutely. And just thinking about the potential of some of those tools, like the blood pressure monitoring being enabled on the smartphone, that would really skyrocket access. It seems like it's really exciting. Thank you so much for for sharing your future outlooks, Dr. Houghton. It's really exciting to learn about, you know, what opportunities there are on the business end of things, but then of course on the patient end and improving those risk factors and improving outcomes. So before we hop off today, is there anything else that you wanted listeners to take away that we might not have touched on yet? Well, I think the primary call to action for any work that's being done in the digital medicine realm or in the remote patient management space is for the patients, for the providers, the physicians and the other groups across the country who are so interested in this is that it's never too late to take care of your health. And in fact, whether you're 40 or 50 or 60 or or 100 years old, we see so much benefit in getting blood pressure under control, getting blood sugar under control, getting weight under control, exercising, eating the right foods. And while that drumbeat has been heard for decades, I finally believe now that using technology, the same the way that we use it for our streaming television and video services, and the same way that we've used it to deliver groceries or or, or grab a, a ride share, I truly believe that the ability for patients, for people to be able to take care of their health with the same degree of convenience that we've all come to expect in other aspects of our life is, is now at a moment where we hopefully, hopefully the next time they they publish those cardiometabolic health rates, we'll start to see a bottom out and a rise. And, and similarly, we'll be able to, to thank the ability of technology to really help facilitate the work that our patients can do. Thanks, Dr. Houghton. I really appreciate that message that you've ended on. It's never too late to take care of your health. It's so important. And it's certainly speaking to my roots as a health educator. (laughs) So thank you so much again for your time and for all the insights today. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. And um, it's been an honor to be able to to greet your audience. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) We'd also like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Oxner Health. You can tune into more podcasts and virtual events from Becker's Healthcare by visiting beckershospitalreview.com.